0: Serverless functions are basically lambda functions, you know, something that a lot of developers are familiar with and have used. And edge functions essentially run with a more limited runtime. And that causes them to just be a lot smaller and a lot faster, so they don't suffer from the same cold start problem that lambda functions suffer from, where sometimes, due to cold starts, your function may be delayed by one or two seconds.
1: Hi there, and welcome to Rocket. I'm your host, Paul, and today we're joined with Hassan El-Baghari. So Hassan, he's from Philly, and you founded a company called Ultrashock. It's a strong community on Steam right now, over 500,000 strong. To my understanding, like you sold the company, and you're working over at Vercel. And we're going to go into a bunch of details today on this podcast. Excited to have you on. You work at Vercel right now, and we're going to get into some of your doings and interesting explorations in ChatGPT. So, welcome to the podcast, Hassan. Thanks so much, Paul. Appreciate you having me. So, when you founded UltraShock, how long ago did you begin on this journey?
0: So, this was back in 2014. This is back in high school where I just started this company. Almost 10 years. Oh my wow. god, it's been right. <laughs> it's been a while. Wow. Yeah, almost 10 years ago. I guess at this point, kind of started honestly, kind of accidentally. Uh, I used to be a big gamer back in the day and. I actually had some friends that were game developers, and so I watched them put hundreds of hours into making these games that, honestly, a lot of the time were crap, and that's fine, but you know, a good amount of them were pretty good, and they just couldn't get them on these big PC platforms like Steam. So it honestly just started with trying to help some friends get their game on these big PC platforms so they can actually sell them and make some money and and kind of snowballed a little bit from there.
1: So you helped your friends sell their games, and then you ended up going on to selling Ultrashock. Yes. And how many years ago did that happen?
0: So that actually happened relatively recently. Is uh, I think three years ago is a bit of a sad story, but I ran it for a while. I got a pretty good offer to sell it, and then I ended up just holding on to it for far too long until I completely lost interest and eventually kind of just liquidated assets a few years ago.
1: I, I feel like that's not the most uncommon story with, like, the with with like a genuine passion project as your as the first thing that people run with you know if it's your passion project it's your first entrepreneurship run it's hard to let go of the first thing that made you wake up so to say you know
0: absolutely yeah Yeah. i I put in
1: so much so don't beat yourself up
0: Yeah, I know. I mean, it's, I, I'm not. I'm not, honestly. I'm, I'm over it at this point. But it was kind of like a 10x multiplier for how much I could have gotten for it and how much I ended up selling it at the end because I made that mistake. But like you said, it was, it was my first kind of entrepreneurial um, thing. And it was a great lesson learned for the future.
1: You're at Vercel right now. We could say DevRel. Is that an appropriate title for what you're doing? How's that going? Yeah, I know
0: DevRel is the right word for it. Developer advocate, some people say that as well. It's going great, honestly. I love how much flexibility I get in this kind of role and how many different teams I get to interact with. You know, some weeks I might be working on content, you know, recording uh, YouTube videos or writing blog posts. And other weeks I'm planning a conference in San Francisco. And and another week I'm writing a conference talk and going to deliver it somewhere. It's so diverse. I honestly just really enjoy it.
1: It's funny that this is even a role in today's day and age because it's such a fast-changing field that we need people like you, Hassan, to glue the slow speed that we move as a body with the technology that's being developed by these niche teams such as Vercel. So you mentioned I will make conferences, I'll make videos, video making videos. I mean, that that's fun, I guess. It could be as long as it doesn't get too tedious. But that's like a total switch from what you were doing if you're Because Ultrashock is you're writing code, you're making platforms, you're putting a community together, half a million people strong on Steam. And now it's less technical. I would like to say it's like less technical. Okay, so you you kind of uh, on camera, you're like, hmm, maybe. So I'd love to (laughs) dig into like, what are some of those technical things that you're working on Vercel right now? What are some excited things that maybe you can share with us and the public that um, is changing at Vercel that you're excited about and have your fingers in?
0: Yeah, for sure. And and just a point of clarification, I I didn't really write much code when I did Ultrashock Gaming. That was mostly kind of running a community, doing game giveaways. It it was definitely stronger on the marketing side. So um, this role actually, you know, I take some of the marketing knowledge that I learned with my last startup and some of my technical skills, and I get to kind of apply both. I do write quite a bit of code at Vercel to give you some examples. Every year we have a really big conference called Next.js Conf that happens in October. And so for the conference last year, I ended up building our registration site for the in-person conference so people can go and register. I built the check-in system that we used on site. I built a site for our schedule. I built a dashboard that tracked, you know, all of the invites and stuff like that. So there's quite a bit of engineering work there. It's not core on the product. I don't work on Vercel itself, but I do these kind of like supplemental things. If we need a website for a conference that we're doing, I'll go and do that or collaborate with the engineering team to do that. I built, like, this image gallery to showcase images from the conference. And right now, honestly, I've just been building a lot of example applications, especially with the new, you know, AI wave that's coming out and the fact that we now have access to GPT-3 and all these really cool APIs. Like, there's, yeah, there's so many things you could be building, and it's it's incredibly exciting.
1: We have to get into that next. You have a blog post out, and if you're curious about, like, how can I use GPT-3, Or ChatGPT, if you're interested in either of those keywords and you want to figure out how can I start using it, Hassan is an excellent post. Um, He walks you through like, uh, what is it, Hasan? I think it's creating a Twitter bio, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So when did you start using GPT-3? Because it's been out for a little bit now. I think the invite-only beta has been like two years. And then ChatGPT dropped and everybody was like, wait, this is a thing. Oh my God. So when did you step onto the platform, into the scene and start to integrate? So
0: my first exposure to it actually was about a year and a half ago. I was working at another C-State startup and we got access through uh, the beta. And so we were playing around with it a little bit. You know, even then it was pretty mind blowing. And then I kind of forgot about it for a while. And then GPT-3 came out and I saw people making all these cool apps and I picked it back up. Honestly, just last month, end of December, kind of. So about two months ago and just been building, you know, just little applications using it.
1: In your blog post, you're walking us through how can I generate a Twitter bio using GPT-3? Do I have to have messed with AI to read your blog post? No. No. Okay, I could just like hop right in. Exactly. And that's the beauty of this stuff. You know, at the end of the day, I'm
0: just a web developer who has used some AI APIs here and there. And that's what I love teaching. You know, I love... Just talking to these front end or full stack web developers and showing them how easy it is to integrate AI in your application. Uh, again, you can go really deep into this and you can go and train your own model and deploy to the cloud and, and do all this really, really fancy things. But a lot of these platforms will just give you access to the API and, and it's just a, a simple API call most of the time.
1: So in your application, we must be using this API somehow. We're connecting to the API. So what happens between me deploying a normal old Next.js app? I have slash. Interesting AI page, and I go to slash interesting AI page in my API route in my Next.js app. Where does that get glued into the GPT-3? Where does that step happen?
0: Yeah, so it's just honestly an external app that you're calling from within your Next.js API route. The big provider right now is OpenAI if you want to use GPT-3 specifically. So uh, and the way that operates is just a prompt. So you can think of it as just making an, an API request to OpenAI with whatever prompt you want, getting the output and sending it back to your front end to display to your user. In that blog post specifically, I think the novelty is specifically in using edge functions because you can kind of stream data back because one of the problems of these ai apis is they do take a while sometimes especially if you're generating a lot of text so think you know if you're trying to generate maybe four or five paragraphs of text it may even take up to like 15 20 seconds to get a response back from open ai and that's just bad user experience you know if you're trying to generate a, a blog post and you click generate blog post and you just sit there looking at a loading spinner for 20 seconds that's not great but what's really cool is open ai let you use this streaming functionality that you can use with Vercel Edge functions, which are very similar to serverless functions, but just smaller and faster. And you can kind of use those technologies in tandem to build something that has a great user experience where you can actually show the user data as it's coming in from OpenAI. So the user clicks submit uh, or create blog posts and
1: within not even a second, we'll start seeing the blog post being
0: submitted. You know, very similar to how
1: ChatGPT works. Right, it's like the stream of text coming in. So there's two key technologies or product offerings that you noted that make this a possible experience. So we talked about serverless functions and Vercel edge functions what's the difference between them?
0: Yeah. So serverless functions are basically Lambda functions, you know, something that a lot of developers are familiar with and and have used. And edge functions essentially run with a more limited runtime. And that causes them to just be a lot smaller and a lot faster. So they don't suffer from the same cold start problem that Lambda functions suffer from, where sometimes due to cold starts, your function may be delayed by one or two seconds. Uh, With edge functions, they're virtually non-existent in like, single-digit or double-digit millisecond delays. And the way they can do that is because they run in this more limited runtime, but the trade-off there is that you can't really use every single Node.js API in your edge functions. So they are significantly more limited using something like a a heavy kind of Node.js library like Prisma, for example, you can't really run in edge functions right now. So you kind of have to choose when you do use these, but for things like making simple fetch calls, because in in this case, all we're doing is making a fetch call to OpenAI, and and getting it back. When you're doing stuff like that, edge functions are perfect for that use case.
1: When you say orchestrated node environment, it kind of reminds me of stepping into looking at temporals technology where you can define a workflow, it can run forever. And when I call on that workflow, it starts up instantly because they essentially serialized a start and stoppable V8 machine. Is that similar to what's going on in the background with the Vercel edge functions and why we don't have a cold start time? It's a little bit
0: different. Temporal is it like kind of uses
1: servers to enable that technology and I don't know
0: enough about Temporal to, to dive in and look at the kind of similarities and differences, but actually edge functions under the hood if you're familiar with Cloudflare workers, that that's actually what they use.
1: Cloudflare Workers, I know, has been out for quite a little bit, but they have had some really compelling iterations in the past year or two that have made them much more usable. That's interesting. little tidbit for anybody that wants to peel under the hood a little bit. So coming back to your example, how, again, does the Vercel Edge function implementation of this piece of backend infrastructure enable the illusion of text streaming in as the open AI is returning its bits and bytes over the wire?
0: Yeah, so edge functions honestly just use standard web APIs. And that's the beauty of them. We're not using you know proprietary technology that you have to go and learn the ins and outs of. It's just using a web stream with the standard web API. And that in combination with the fact that OpenAI does let you specify whether you want to stream certain responses just makes it work really, really nice. So you just define kind of a new stream in your edge function. You in the payload to OpenAI, you specify that I want you to stream this back to me. So you specify like the stream variable as true, and then it just it just works.
1: And on my side, on the Next.js side, I don't have to worry about any crazy HTTP guts or anything.
0: Exactly. Yep. On the Next.js side, you know, all I do is define a piece of React state. And then as the data is being streamed in, I continuously update that piece of React state. So in my JSX that I return, all I do is return the piece of state right there. And you can just see it updating as data comes back in.
1: In this example, you're having GPT-3 sort of complete a cookie-cutter prompt. Let me create a Twitter bio. Do you see this sort of interaction with GPT-3 becoming individualized on a personal level? So like on Facebook, there's not one global timeline. There's like my timeline. And I wonder, is there going to be a a mini version of GPT-3 out there that is going to be making little Twitter it knows me. and knows my own fine-tuned model. Do you see that coming onto the playing field very soon? For sure.
0: Yeah, a lot of people have started you know, enabling you to do this, where you can kind of take these base models like GPT-3, like Stable Diffusion, which is a machine learning model for generating images. You can take these models and you can actually train them on something specific and then use that in your website. And that's actually what a lot of these AI startups do to differentiate is they will use these base models, but they'll just train them on really good data. I think this is what Copy AI does, for example. They uh, use GPT-3, but not directly GPT-3. They train it with... Tons of data from like essays and from specifically the type of writing that they want to implement within their service. So the end result is actually better than the generalized GPT-3 model because they're training it with very specific data. And in the same form with something like Stable Diffusion for image generation, you can train it on very specific images. And, and a really good example of this is generating AI avatars of yourself, you know, where you can take a Stable Diffusion model and you can feed it 20 pictures of yourself. Then you can say, you know, generate a uh, picture of Paul riding a bicycle, and it'll do that with your face, which is
1: kind of crazy. That is crazy, because it needs to understand Paul, and it needs to understand me as a human being that I have legs and feet. And it needs to paint that on the bicycle. Oh, it's, it, it's it's a little creepy, but it's so exciting. I mean, in the new Stable Diffusion uh, 2 with the replace, oh, we, we see Hassan. Put a hat on Hassan. There's going to be a hat on Hassan. Everything else remained the same. It's not like it garbled the rest of the image because it is able to tokenize in such a great way. It's really amazing. There's a podcast with the founder of Stable Diffusion that I saw earlier where he was touting sort of like they went from 32nd generation to one second generation. Now they're at like 900 millisecond generation. And when Stable Diffusion 3 comes out, they're targeting 300 millisecond, 200 millisecond generation. I mean, we're talking about like simulating a real world. And one thing he said was like, imagine the capabilities this is going to have for the serverless world and for user interfaces. And I wish they went more into the podcast on that because I was just like, whoa, wait a minute. I can have a user interface that is like my user interface. It's different for everybody. I don't know how that would transcribe. So Hasan, as somebody who has like built a community and seen maybe how people offer, they're like, I want this, I want that. And you needed to change and pivot your product and, and all your ideas throughout the past 10 years on this journey. How do you see... AI manifesting itself, this technology manifesting itself in the front end. your example goes over in the back end. I'm curious if you had any thoughts in the front end.
0: Yeah, honestly, with the innovations that are going to happen in the front end, I think are are mostly based on this back end and, and what you said with the idea of making generations faster because that's a really, really big thing. Right now, with training, for example, if I wanted to go and train a stable diffusion model on my face, it actually takes a while it maybe will take 20 to 30 minutes to to do that for the model to train Uh, but like you said they're working on new versions where it won't take as long and right now if i wanted to just build a website where people can get ai avatars of themselves you know i'm kind of restricted and on the front end a little bit because of the fact that it takes this 20 to 30 minutes so you'd have to actually go to my site you'd have to upload the images and then you have to click generate and then you have to wait 30 minutes, which is kind of awkward. And so I'd probably ask for your email, and then I'd send it to you later. So that's a very, very different flow than if this process takes under a minute, let's say, I can just show it to you on the site right after it's done. And it's just going to be very, very different in, in that sense. And I think as these machine learning models kind of progress, they just give more options to front-end developers to build really, really cool things with them. I think we started with GPT-3 that came out. And then as more and more of these machine models are coming out, there are services like replicate.com, like Hugging Face, where some really, really, really smart AI researchers will go and work on a problem for a while and publish a paper and publish a Python model And then people will take that Python model, deploy it in the cloud, and just give you an API to access it, which is insane. Like you're taking advantage of all of this research from these like astronomically smart people directly in your application with an API call. And it's like, there's no limit to what you can build with that.
1: If you go on Rapid API, I see some of these APIs and I'm just thinking like, I definitely saw this in a GitHub project somewhere, but like, nice, (laughs) cool. You do you, little market opportunities that pop up.
0: Yeah. And people use them.
1: I mean, just to give you an example, I made this
0: website called restorephotos.io and it's just using one of Replicate's APIs that helps restore old blurry photos. So I literally like this API, I send it a blurry photo and it gives me back, you know, a more clear photo. And so I built this side project in like a day over a weekend and I launched it and it kind of went viral. And and I have, I think, 130,000 users right now for the site for this just like (laughs) little side thing that i just published which is crazy because anybody can go and build that really quickly right yeah right like anybody can like the api is there on replicated and and my project is even open source so people have cloned it and and have built a lot of like similar-ish apps but yeah it's still like the amount of people that i still have that i've gotten messages from that have been like oh my god this is like so
1: impressive how are you doing this like just just never fails to amaze me because i'm just just googling my friend yeah exactly man <laughs> just googling um for the audience and if anybody's watching still getting into ai Hassan, on what is hugging face
0: Yeah, so I actually haven't used Hugging Face very often. So you might have a better definition than me. But as far as I understand it, it's this kind of AI community that's there where they kind of publish a lot of these models, they publish a lot of these data sets that you can just use. And, And a lot of them will have APIs. But I've seen that a lot of machine learning engineers will use something like Hugging Face, whereas web developers may use something like Replicate, which doesn't really get into the nitty gritty. They just give you a very easy API endpoint that you can just hit and get data back.
1: One thing I like about OpenAI is they still provide a very easy to hit API like that if you want that. And they let you peel back the layers as you go. Like If you are an AI researcher and you want to do weights and biases and God knows what else, like you can't they have support for that. And I think it's a, one of the most compelling things about their product. And I love that it's integrated right into your blog post. And one more time, Hassan, the, the name of your blog post is Building a GPT-3 App with Next.js and Versal Edge Functions. That's correct. If people want to Google it, that's what they could go look up. Just to close things out, because I could chat to you about Chat GPT and GPT-3 all day, because the possibilities are endless. But we do have limited time here. So Focusing back on like Vercel specifically with your involvement as developer relations person, are there any things you might want to like have the general public be attuned for, looking out for in the next quarter?
0: I'd honestly say just look out for more cool AI templates and and blog posts. And yeah, that's primarily what I'm working on. I'm working on some secret stuff that i fortunately can't share right now but yeah
1: okay secret stuff so can people follow you on twitter if they want to know specifically from hassan when the secret stuff is coming a hundred percent what's your handle where can people find you
0: it's nutlope n-u-t-l-o-p
1: all right thanks again hassan for your time coming on it was a pleasure
0: yeah thanks for having me paul
1: this was fun